Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 44. This week has been an interesting one, as Brad and I have watched the news closely, discussed a variety of ideas, threads that we've left untied, things that we could chase. And there's always more things we could talk about, different economic principles we could develop, different political ideas, different historical periods we could visit that help explain where we are now, and so on. But what we keep coming back to is a problem that we keep seeing that is very pressing, in which I'm not sure we have a solution to. But we're going to kind of flail about verbally (laughs) and try and (laughs) talk through it a little bit and see what we can come to, because it's it's extremely pertinent, I think, and, and really reflects the problem that we sometimes refer to as partisanship. But it's more than that, and it's deeper. Yeah, it's it's much more than that. Dan and I talking about it this week, I mean, there was one conversation just trying to pinpoint what the issue is, just trying to name the issue is difficult. Because if you say things like, like partisanship, it doesn't capture what we're talking about. We're not talking about the differences between the two parties. Partisanship has been a part of this country for hundreds of years, and it's never been pretty. And that's okay. And that's okay. It never will be. It yeah. never will be. <laughs> you know, we've we've talked about things to do about the party system that we still think are fantastic ideas. But those might solve partisanship, but they wouldn't solve the problem that we're looking at. What we're looking at, talked about it before when we talked about things like confirmation bias and the lenses through which we see the world, these paradigms that people have and how that affects the information they receive. And that's and that's very close to what we're talking about here. It's a very similar vein. We're talking about that same idea, that same problem that we saw when we when we made that episode to address the problem. But there's more to it than what we talked about there. It's it's more than just confirmation bias. It's more than just partisanship. It's something bigger. And I think a lot of people out there hopefully have, have noticed it. The only problem is that normally people notice it on behalf of someone else and not for themselves. Yes, on behalf of their political opponents. But I think the fundamental problem here is not that we've got two parties or not that we have different perspectives. The fundamental problem is that both sides believe that the other side is acting in bad faith. And that, I think, is, if not the biggest, one of the biggest problems right now. Yes, it's got to be one of the most important pieces and perhaps the most important piece in this discussion. Because acting in bad faith is very different than having a different perspective, having a different paradigm, having a different bias than someone else is very different from acting in bad faith. And how you view that person and how you interact with that person is very different when you believe they're acting in good faith versus when they're acting in bad faith. It really does make a big difference. If you think they're being sincere, but they're wrong, you're more than happy to have a conversation with them, potentially. But if you believe that not only are they wrong, but they're actually acting in bad faith, they may know that they're wrong and not care, then you've got a serious problem on your hands. Then what's the point of having a conversation with them? You can't convince them that they're wrong because whether or not they're wrong clearly doesn't matter to them. It's something else entirely. And that's when you have what you have today where where people don't attempt to communicate where people have no interest in negotiating or anything so Dan and I have been have been talking about this issue and trying to figure out why this is happening what's caused this divide this this idea that makes it so difficult for people to get past partisanship and people to get past so many other things. What has created, I mean, we need to have a, a word for this as we're discussing it here, and we don't have one, but... Yeah, yeah, fundamentally, it looks like a lack of trust. A lack of trust. That's a great way of putting it, Dan. So what has caused this lack of trust? And we've got some ideas, and we've started talking about them, and I think we should talk about them some more and, and share that conversation with you guys, because what I've seen is on one side, you have conservatives. And many of these conservatives no longer consider themselves Republican. 
but they do consider themselves conservative or some form of, of that language. They believe in America, and they believe in the Constitution, and they believe in freedom. You know, those are usually the three the three big ones. If you if you believe in those three, then usually you're a conservative. Or at least if you use those words. You may believe in those things, but you wouldn't use those words because you wouldn't get la- want to get labeled a conservative. You're a liberal. <laughs> you may believe in those three things, <laughs> right. but you right. wouldn't say, I believe in those three things because you'd be considered right. a conservative. The rhetoric around that has become uh-huh. an unofficial way to distinguish conservatism. But the thing that I've seen growing in the conservative movement is conspiracy theories. And the thing about conspiracy theories is that usually, usually, not always, usually a conspiracy theory is based on the idea that not only is the mainstream narrative wrong, not only is what we were told about an event inaccurate, but it's inaccurate because there was a there was a conspiracy there was a secret organization or a secret group of people who manipulated events and then covered it up you know cover ups are a key element of most conspiracy theories and of course it's obvious if you have a conspiracy that in secret did something and then you had a conspiracy that then went about covering it up it was not an honest mistake right. what's more bad faith than a conspiracy, than people who are intentionally manipulating things for their own purpose. And so naturally, if conspiracy theories are a large part of the way that you view the world, there's going to be a lack of trust. If you believe that the United States government or parts of it manipulated an election or X, Y, and Z, that's going to erode your trust not only in the government or par- you know parts of the government but in every official source of authority whether that's different branches within the government like the CDC whether that's mainstream news coverage because of course if there's a conspiracy to cover up they must be involved and so you're left with not being willing to believe any official narrative And so you turn to alternative sources and rely on those alternative sources for information and no longer believe any recognized source of information. Like all of that seems makes sense, right? You get get this group, you believe they're lying to you. You also pick up a couple biases there. You're going to have biases no matter what. So don't feel like that there's one, there's some way to be unbiased. There isn't. But you are going to view what they say more likely in the future to be cover-ups to be further cover mm-hmm. the question becomes what are they covering up what are they hiding is is you're talking this is a uh, so many different thoughts one of them is that there are many proven conspiracies by people within the federal government that have had a massive impact on the US that you can verify at this point mm-hmm. right? that the people later admitted it there are documents released, etc. You have everything you need to say, as surely as history can prove anything, X event happened. But there's a difference between proving a conspiracy and assuming a conspiracy. And the evidence required, I think, is is difficult, especially since as you're as you're suggesting with it, if there is a conspiracy and there is a cover-up, evidence is going to be scarce. We have an immediate problem, which is how do you show that there's a conspiracy? Uh-huh. How do you How do you verify this? And on that point, there's one thing that I think people really overestimate. Well, well, one group overestimates and one group underestimates. One group underestimates the fact that there are incentives to do terrible things. And where there are incentives, people will conspire together to fulfill those incentives, right? There there are incentives for conspiracies and there will be conspiracies. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand... People significantly underestimate how blasted difficult it is to coordinate any group of people to do anything ever, (laughs) let alone people in high positions across many places, across many news stations, etc. People have, there was a time when I was reading a number of books about conspiracy theories. In some ways, uh, I, growing up in in a conservative background, uh, reading a variety of 
of books about historical narratives that were false and, and things like that is basically bound to happen as I got interested in politics, right? People would refer me to those. Some of them I would, I would absolutely affirm that did happen. Others I look back on and think, I was surprisingly persuaded by this because I had seen other conspiracies mm-hmm. that were true, right? You're predisposed. That, that, that made, yes, I was then predisposed to believe this one. If you have a very small group of people with a lot of power, conspiracy is just far more possible. But as soon as you have 10 people, 100 people, thousands of people, which is what most of the mainstream conspiracies would require, if not tens of thousands of people, you have walked into the realm of fantasy. You cannot keep secrets on that scale at the level that a lot of people seem to think they can. Now, there are a lot of things that naturally come about, coordination that happens between groups that doesn't have to be organized. You can have every news station in the world playing the same story, and the story is wrong, and it not be a conspiracy. The irony is that people see in that coincidence that it must have been orchestrated. It doesn't have to be orchestrated. In fact, that it was orchestrated is the least likely explanation, even though they're all wrong in the same way. Mm -hmm. Because such an act requires a level of coordination and loyalty and that is truly unbelievable. And there should be evidence everywhere that this was happening. I mean, if that evidence isn't there, if there isn't overwhelming evidence, then that's a conspiracy I, I wouldn't believe. Because the more I study and the more I learn about people, the more I learn about history, the more difficult I realize it is to have wide-scale conspiracies. It's, it's extremely difficult. I agree with what you're saying, Dan. I agree with what you're saying. And that's why so many historical conspiracies have been exposed either at the time or soon thereafter because it's hard to cover up every last bit of evidence. And we've talked well, the about— loyalty, you have to have the loyalty of everybody involved, right? Everybody involved has to— And we spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about incentives because what Dan's talking about is where incentives line up that cause people to all act in a similar manner. It's something that we've seen a ton— in the past year and a half with COVID because people's incentives lined up in a way that if you weren't looking at the incentives would seem conspiratorial in a crazy way. You're like, oh my goodness, big pharma, the entire government, all of these scientists, all of these groups got together and are all on the same page. But when you look at it, when you look at what they're saying, everything they're saying lines up perfectly with their own personal incentives. That what they're saying and what they're promoting is going to give them more stature. It's going to elevate their business or their career or their political party. And that's why they're doing it. Whether or not they're actual real conspiracies has nothing to do with the fact that all these groups are lining up because all these groups are simply lining up because it benefits them. And that right, is not for a conspiracy. Yeah. That is just people acting in self-interest. Now, it doesn't mean there's not yeah. a conspiracy, but it doesn't prove it. And so having dots line up in a row is, is not enough. But, but I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole before pointing out something else. And that's that Dan talked about as you, as you believe these conspiracy theories, part of the problem not part of the problem, but part of the baggage that comes with it is that you're, you don't believe any evidence you're given to disprove the conspiracy theory because you don't believe any of the sources that would give you the evidence. Yes. Almost by default, you've, you've ruled out the possibility of seeing anything counterfactual to to the conspiracy. And and that is the scariest thing, because conspiracy theorists argue that you need to open your mind up to the possibility of conspiracy theories. You need to open your eyes, almost like in the Matrix. I want to say it's the red yes. pill. Whichever, yes. whichever pill pulls you out of the Matrix, <laughs> take the red pill, open your eyes, and see the truth. And yet... Part of becoming a conspiracy theorist is closing your mind to the idea that the conspiracy might not be there. You're no longer willing to even consider the idea that the person who wrote that article for CNN 
might just be acting in good faith. You're closing your mind to the possibility that maybe incentives just lined up for these groups of people in this particular case and things ended up this way. You're closing your mind to the idea that yes, there may be a cabal, there may be a conspiracy in this area and a small group of people did do something nefarious and evil with malice aforethought, but that doesn't mean that everyone who's in that same category of people as those individuals who did that are in the same boat. You know what I mean? You can right. believe right. You can believe that a group of politicians got together and planned something nefarious without believing that every politician is corrupt. You can believe that a pharmaceutical company intentionally created a drug to kill people without believing that every pharmaceutical company did. You can, you know, and it goes on and on and on. Yes. You have, yes. You have to, if you want to open your mind, you actually, you have to open your mind to all possibilities. And that is not what conspiracy theorists do. They open their mind to the idea that the world is a lie. They, they've gone into their brains and they've flipped a switch. And that switch says that what we're being told is a lie. And once they flip that switch, then they no longer believe anything they're told. It's like what happened in Inception. He went into his wife's mind and flipped the switch that made her believe that, that her world wasn't real. And even when she entered reality, she couldn't get past that one idea. And it infested her mind. And that's something that happens with conspiracy theories. I bring this up not to condemn people who believe in conspiracy theories because I'm part of that group. I'm part of that group who believes that there are conspiracies, who believes there are things that are happening that are more than we can see, who believes that every that the mainstream narrative is not always accurate and that there are cover-ups. Yeah, in preparation for this episode, as I was I, this morning, I was listing ideas in my head, things about history that I think are true and verifiably true, that are outside of the mainstream news of both Republicans and Democrats. You know, things that things that almost nobody knows, that a very very tiny minority of Americans know, that I think are absolutely true. And as you said, I I'm right there with you. I in a lot of people's books, I would be a conspiracy theorist. Because I believe in some conspiracies. <laughs> I'm there. I'm in that boat. But in that boat, I kept getting pulled deeper into more conspiracies. And when you're in that boat, it's very hard to open your mind. I'm speaking from experience here that because of the way it's lined up, because the fundamental idea behind conspiracy theories is that what you're being told is a lie, that there's a conspiracy the natural result is that everything is going to become a conspiracy. It's very difficult in my mind to hold the idea that there are legitimate conspiracies occurring today that have a real effect on the world without believing the following line, which is that most things are a conspiracy, that most major events have some kind of mm -hmm. conspiracy behind them. It's hard to hold that middle ground, which is why most people don't. Most people either sit firmly in the conspiracy theory camp and disbelieve most of the mainstream narrative, or they sit on the opposite side, which is to say that the mainstream narrative is the only source for true information, and all conspiracy theories are complete fooey. You are absolutely right. And, and as we're talking here, this is, I think you've, you've inspired me with a potential direction this conversation could go. Let's hear it. Which is good because this conversation could go all kinds of places. I've been intrigued by a, a, a model proposed by an educator. I could not give you his name or, or the context. He gave this, this story that I'll never forget. He talked about how, oh, I do know some of the context. I guess it's given by the story. He was a, a law professor of some kind. And he was talking about how Various legal students would come to class, and what they would learn to do is they would learn to, to analyze words, and they would learn to argue, and, and then to write these arguments, right, and to speak them, and to do those well. They'd learn writing and rhetoric, essentially, and reading. Some of the great educational skills mm -hmm. that make you dangerous in the world, that make you <laughs> able to engage and change Truly. things. Truly. They come and they get excited about this and they realize that most of the people they know can't do these things. 
Most of the people they know can't analyze things like they can. They can't read things closely like they can. They can't write and argue against them like they can. So what they do is they start to flex their new skills, their new muscles, right? So they start to push back against the things that they believed, the ideas that they've taken for granted. They start to consider things that they haven't considered yet. And if they happen to be lucky and wise and fortunate, perhaps they have professors that can even turn them against their own biases so that they can start to weigh some of the things that they themselves believe and take for granted, their own worldview to a degree. And he called this, he described them as children wandering around with a shiny pin among balloons. (laughs) And they have this shiny new pin of skepticism. And they find that there's a very satisfying pop as they go around popping all the other kids' balloons. (laughs) They, They now have the capacity to argue against the ideas that they're told. And so they do. And this guy pointed out, in too many cases... People become educated to this level and then stop. And what they now have is the power to disagree, the power to, the power of skepticism, essentially, right? A cogent skepticism where the news is maybe wrong or where the things that they don't like. This can go with any of their biases. This doesn't have to lead you to conspiracy theories. But they now have the tools to argue against the things they don't like. And they do. And what's left is only the things they like. And that this is a necessary part of educational growth. But it would be a tragedy to stop there until you can start to turn those same tools against your own biases. And until you can start to not only see the complexity of the world, but to find some of the simplicity on the other side of that complexity, to find some of the the ways that you should act and work in this complex world. And I don't know, if you were talking, I was just thinking of this, this idea they stop trusting everything. When you were describing that, it struck me that I don't think that's a bad place to be, but it's a terrible place to stay. Mm-hmm. And it's in a terrible place to live. That's a, it's a great way of looking at it. It's, it's like that, that skepticism, that it's a fantastic and incredible tool that you can use, but it can't be your only tool. It can't yes. be your only, the only perspective that you have because... Because if all you have is a pin, then all you're going to see is balloons. If all you have is a hammer, all you're going to see are nails. <laughs> right. It's just a natural result. Right. That's who it was. It was uh, the guy is uh, Bruce C. Hafen, mentioned from, from Idaho and Utah. That was a BYU professor or speaker at BYU, Bruce C. Hafen. So where are we going with all this? Fantastic question. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I but but I'm starting to see I'm starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. And right now, we've only talked about the one side, the conspiracy side, but if we have time, we'll talk about the other side. I think this is really useful stuff because, as Dan said, we we understand if you haven't been listening to the podcast, this is your first one, we're very skeptical. We are very cynical by nature, and we use that cynicism every every week, every day as we prepare for this podcast, as we record this podcast, without that cynicism we wouldn't be able to pick up on the things that we pick up and notice the things that we pick up. And and that, I think, makes us a much better podcast. That cynicism right. really, really enhances it, but... Right, I look at it as a gift we're giving people if they don't have it already when they look at politics. For me, what has, has changed my perspective and changed how I view the world is interacting with a lot of people real people who are involved in politics and who are going into politics. You know, so I've talked to a lot of, of politicians on the state level, on the county level. I've talked to several politicians on the national level. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to our congressmen, our senators, and I've interacted with them face to face. I mean, I, I remember visiting at this, at this point, I believe he was a, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and, and visiting his office and as a group, it wasn't just me, obviously. I'm not getting a bunch of one-on-one time with these people. But seeing this individual and having read books that this that this man had written before he became a politician, which, by the way, is a very great way of looking into someone's mind, is reading a fiction book that they've written. And so I felt like I knew him. You know what I mean? I felt like I had seen a little bit of, of his soul and who he was. It was, a, it was a Chris Stewart. 
He might still be serving. He's not in my district, so I haven't followed. I it think too he close. still I is. I think he is. He's a politician. They never, they never go. Yeah, away. he's he's this politician <laughs> who who when he was elected, there was <laughs> there there was all this drama, and, and I was there for it. But and then I interacted with him after. And there's 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 all this baggage and all this story that is weird. But I know who this person is. And I know this person is not evil. This is a real person that I understand a little bit. And yet I also understand the bad decisions that he makes and why he makes those bad decisions and the good decisions that he makes. And I have some idea of the reason he makes those good decisions. And and that perspective tempers my conspiracy theories because understanding that on a smaller level, how one individual can be acting in good faith and still make these bad decisions. I see it on the state level all the time because I see these these state representatives who here in Utah get paid almost nothing, don't have a lot of of power and leverage they can use to make themselves personally wealthy. You know, they don't have huge earmark bills that they can get wined and dined by you know, fantastic, fantastically wealthy lobbying groups. It's, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. It is. In small states like Utah, it is. And I see these these legislators and I hear them talk and I can feel the sincerity. I can feel the sincerity coming off in droves because these people are, are good people who are trying to do good things. Probably not even any cameras in the room in these cases. There, You know, there's cameras in these rooms that's not making it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no one's watching them. And then I see them almost willfully making these terrible, terrible decisions that if I weren't there in the room, I could easily argue that there's some kind of conspiracy, some, some nefarious reason that they're doing it. But I know because I was in the room and I heard the arguments that were made, and and I could see how that lined up with what they already believed, and that's why they ended up where they did. I can see, I can see that. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed the reality of the political game, and the political game is disgusting. Yes, absolutely. I am not a fan, but it's it's more of a whole lot of bad incentives than it is a conspiracy. There are so many bad incentives especially when you get to the national level, that encourage these politicians to make bad decisions. I mean, we've talked about incentives many times with, with politics about how things line up for politicians that it just encourages them, especially with how it's set up now, to make bad decisions, to make decisions that are not good for the people and to feel like they have no choice in it. You know, so much mm-hmm. of Washington, D.C. is wheeling and dealing. That's not a conspiracy. That's just how it works. That's that's the world that we live in. And so I've seen that, and that helps temper my understanding of conspiracies. To understand that, yes, there are there are bad actors. There are conspiracies out there. And there are also a whole lot of politicians who are just selfish, who are just mm-hmm. in it to win. Which is not a conspiracy. It's not great either. And then, of course, there are those <laughs> politicians who actually are trying to do good and sometimes even do, but more often than not get sucked into the bad decision making that is Washington, D.C. Right. And driven by the party politics and, the, the as you said, so much of the way the bills are passed in Congress and just the – the whole thing at this point is, a, is something of a machine that makes a bad product. <laughs> And and that's not necessarily their fault or, as you said, a conspiracy. There's a, one more thing on that is you were talking about the people you've seen. I've, I've seen a number as well, some of uh, who we've seen overlap, certainly. The other, another aspect of that that I think about when people make these accusations of conspiracy is that these people are, frankly, not smart enough. <laughs> and I'm not saying they're stupid. But I think we have an illusion that we get from movies and stories and things about man's capacity for genius. The smartest man in the world is not capable of a lot of the things people seem to accuse government politicians of doing on a regular basis. And if you think your average government politician is really smart, watch any of the debates. Even, <laughs> even though they are, they're probably, they probably are quite smart, like if you were to IQ test them or whatever. But that's even beside the point, because the point is not, are they smart relative to other people? The problem is, 
I think we have a mistaken idea about what the capacity for intelligence actually allows you to do. And so we think of these people in these faraway places manipulating us on this wide scale and having these long-term plans that coordinate millions of people. Not only would that be assuming bad faith when, they're, when so often they're sincere or, or merely slightly corrupt and incompetent, it assumes that they have vast control over a number of things that they simply don't and they can't control. So many of the pieces are too independent. Too much of what drives Washington is 20 different unrelated pieces that couldn't be coordinated, that are obviously not coordinated, and that end up creating an environment of bad incentives that people didn't anticipate the consequences of when they were trying to do good when they created each little piece along the way. Yeah, and each little piece has been slowly twisted over time. Right. That no one could create what we have in Washington, D.C. No one person. It's far too incoherent. It's far too, it's far too, uh, too vast and too, too wild. Now, in that chaos, there is more room for manipulation. There is room for wheeling and dealing. And that's part of the reason why it is so vast. It's not just a product of wheeling and dealing. It allows for such wheeling and dealing. But you should be extremely skeptical of conspiracies when incentives explain it better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make one, uh, one kind of side point to this. We've been talking a lot about the individuals who believe this and why you should or should not believe a conspiracy theory, um, the tendency to believe conspiracy theories, and the way it predisposes you to believe more. Uh, I think there's a, as I said, there's a, a really good case to be made for skepticism, and as you said, cynicism in politics, and that that is a necessary step in a good education, is at some point to question everything. And as I said, with good education, perhaps you can even turn that against your own biases and recognize your own biases and, and see the points against your own beliefs and argument. But one of the factors in this is obviously the institutions. If you take away from this that we're saying you should trust Congress, you've made a dichotomy out of this, right? We're not saying you should either trust the institutions or distrust the institutions. Most of the institutions seem deliberately bent on undermining their own credibility as fast as they possibly can. <laughs> as if that as if their goal in life was to convince you that you should never listen to them. Which which is a great argument for the case that it's not a big conspiracy controlling these <laughs> media outlets. Because if it was a conspiracy, then you would think they would be at least get their story. Yeah, at least straight. get their story <laughs> straight. Yeah, exactly. The the sheer inconsistency. You know, it's one of those things like like people display. talk about the conspiracy with Fauci and the CDC in regards to COVID. And I'm like, if it was a conspiracy, then why did they admit six months later that what they said six months before was wrong? You know what I mean? When, when you control the narrative, you stick with the lie. And yet they've continued to change their story over and over again, which makes them look so bad. It makes them yeah. look incompetent. Yeah. It makes them look stupid. Then that's fantastic evidence against the conspiracy theory. Because if it's a conspiracy, yeah. then they're behaving stupidly. They were smart enough yes. to organize a giant <clears throat> conspiracy theory, but not smart enough to to organize a giant conspiracy, excuse me, and not smart enough to use that conspiracy to control the narrative. Right. Right. Because of the of the political power at stake, news organizations are putting politics before they're putting their capacity to interpret science and their <laughs> their ability to to read data and and all of these things seem to go out the window. And I don't think that's a coincidence, and I don't think that's a, a one-sided thing. That's classic confirmation bias. Yeah. That's, that's the fact that you look at the things that support you and what you believe and what you, the directions you want to go more favorably. You have, a, you have a higher standard of evidence for things against your ideas than you do for things with your ideas. Um, the classic one study on this we've mentioned, or one of my favorites, was the it was, there was supposed to be an opinion poll about what people think of the effects of coffee on pregnant women. But in reality, what they were studying was the confirmation bias of the pregnant women involved in the study versus those mm -hmm. who weren't pregnant. And of course, what they found is the people, the women who were pregnant who drank coffee were much more likely to believe that this was this data was bunk. Mm -hmm. No shock there. That's, that's the phenomenon of confirmation bias in a nutshell. But it's not only confirmation bias. There is, in many cases, some bad faith in that people realize that even if they are wrong, 
at least it makes their political side get more votes or something like that. And that in politics seems to be shifting more and more in that direction. But not everybody. That's a really, really important distinction, right? Some people are doing that. So you distrust everybody? No, no. One of the things that really is alarming about people who fall into this, this conspiracy theorist category that we're talking about, this complete distrust, is that they don't go and make a news site, which seems like it'd be really helpful. Why don't they make a news site? Why don't they become investigative journalists? Why don't they become something that engages them with the world rather than disengages them with the world? If these are problems, they could be the solutions. And we need more people like that. Journalism right now is in a, is in a flux where major groups are continuing to fall. There was obviously with the shift from, from newspapers to websites was a big one. Mm-hmm. But it's still playing out in a lot of ways. There's still the concern of how on earth do you make revenue and do news is still a living problem that is still strangling many of the big players. And it's a solution that in some ways is solving itself as, as uh, writers go to Substack. Are you familiar with that? No. It's a, I believe it's Substack where journalists basically become independent contractors in some sense. You can pay for their pay to read their stuff on a per journalist basis. Interesting. So you, get, you, get a few, you get a few big name journalists who are credible, who their newspapers stop or in their websites stop publishing their stuff because it's controversial. And they go to Substack and they find an independent following of people. And there are other groups. There's, there's some papers and things that have risen in response to this. The market will sort this out eventually if people will actually do something. <laughs> the market isn't some magical thing that doesn't include people. It is merely what people decide to do. And people can answer these needs. And, and I, I was listening to a, a podcast that was discussing... Uh, it was on Sam Harris. I don't remember his speaker, his guest speaker, but they were talking about building a better Democrat. The guy was a Democrat and he had been getting involved more and more with politics. And he quickly became disillusioned with the Democratic Party for parallel reasons to how Brad and I in some ways became disillusioned with the Republican Party. He didn't feel like they were living their principles. He felt like they were doing a lot of things they shouldn't be doing and so on. But one of the things he kept insisting on was that People's distrust of institutions is too often justified by the institutions acting poorly, making poor decisions, putting, putting narrative ahead of actual news and things like that, spinning things to a ridiculous level to where their credibility was being, was being destroyed. But in all of these things, it should be, it, it must be a case-by-case basis. And, and that is, in some ways, another problem. Because people just don't have the time to spend sorting through all this nonsense. So what that leaves and what we started this conversation out with was talking about lack of trust. And we were going to talk about both sides. But really what we ended up talking about here is is conspiracy theories and how they create that lack of trust. Dan right now is, is referencing the fact that that when you don't trust the institutions, when you don't trust any any of these areas, it causes you to disengage and causes you to not do anything about it because if you believe that Washington DC is full of of poor incentives that have resulted in a terrible system that naturally results in bad legisl- legislation and you wish that would change the natural thing to do is to start working to reform it either by running for office or by spreading that information and that message in order to get whatever kind of amendments or whatever that's needed to reform those issues, right? To find out what's causing the malincentives and fix it. But if you believe instead that Washington DC is nothing but a a show and that behind that show is just a massive conspiracy, then there's no reason to run for office. There's no reason to try and pass legislation because that legislation, that office means nothing. Whether or not you get into office won't affect what actually happens. And there's thus, mm-hmm. there's no reason to run. There's no reason to sign the petition. There's no reason to help support the candidates you believe in. Instead, your your best bet is to ignore politics, you know, is to ignore all of that and go hide out in the mountains, which 
<laughs> which many conspiracy theorists yes. end up literally doing. If you truly believe what you're talking about, then that's the natural result. That's the natural thing to do, right? You're right. That becomes a reasonable, a reasonable choice. It's because of that lack of trust. You have to temper it. It's it's perfectly reasonable to to keep that skepticism and keep that cynicism, but also realize that there are so many other reasons, the biggest one being crooked incentives, and that that can actually be fixed. That yes, there are conspiracies out there, but if you understand that most people aren't a part of them, and by most, I don't mean a majority, I mean most people as in all but all but a handful, all but a few hundred, all but whoever these individuals are who are actually involved in a conspiracy, every single other person in the United States is not a part of that, including most politicians, including most of the reporters who are in D.C. reporting on those politicians, including their staff. All of these people, except for the very few are honest-to-goodness people who are acting based off of incentives. They may not be good people. They may not be morally upright, as it were. You may not even respect them. But you have to trust in them as human beings who are acting based off of incentives, even if that incentive is just selfishness. Because a politician right. who is just acting selfishly, he can be persuaded to support legislation when it's pointed out that it will benefit him. But if he's part of a conspiracy, it doesn't matter. And that's where that trust needs to come in. You need to have trust in human nature, even as fallible as it is. You can't fight a ghost. And, and so often this creates ghosts of such power that they control everything. And what, do you, what are you supposed to do about that? If not disengage and just, and just uh, hunker down. A lot of these people are convinced of bad ideas. Things will work that won't work. Of, of philosophies that are false and that get human nature wrong and get morality wrong at, at epic levels that, that are supporting unjust things and so on. Those are things you can fight. Those are things that have had to be fought in every age by every people forever. They don't go away, but they do recede or grow depending on how effective the people who fight them are. Mm -hmm. How clearly people can state the truth and how clearly they can argue for it and how publicly they can make that and how much they conspire per se to fight these things and to combat these things which is why the demoralizing effect of this level of disengagement this level of conspiracy thinking is so depressing because it takes too many people who are right about the fact that there are problems and who if they would devote themselves to, to looking at specific problems and trying to solve them, could do a great deal of good and instead renders them ineffective and on the sideline. Yeah, a great example of that is all of the conservatives who spend time and energy talking about or proposing the idea that Trump didn't actually lose the election and should be the rightful president. Because every ounce of energy that's devoted to that has a twofold effect. The first is it's a wasted ounce. The first is you could have spent that time actually trying to accomplish something because, because you're not accomplishing anything. And the second thing it does is it marginalizes the conservative image is really what it's doing is it's, it's marginalizing an entire political movement. And that's a real negative effect that has contributed to liberals not having any faith in conservatives. When liberals dismiss conservatives as complete whack jobs, half the time they're right. There's some truth to that. They may not realize the reverse is also true. Yes, they they but they are but they are on <laughs> There's a whole other side to this that liberals don't realize and that and that we don't have time to go into today. But they're at least partly right, and that's upsetting. It's it's a different myopia, but it's but it is similar. And as you said, we're not going to focus on it because we just don't have the time today. But Republicans get into the same pattern of confirmation bias, where they they have their few sources that they trust. These sources tell them exactly what they want to hear and how every detail, every bit of news, 
fits what they already thought and just reinforces how dumb the liberals are. And then the liberals do the same thing, right, in turn. They have this massive group they distrust. They have this massive group that they agree with almost 100% with, and no room for nuance in between. I've been a part of a number of discussions, but one that I remember very clearly where, where I said, I, I, we were talking about the Iraq war. This was some, many, some years ago. Obviously, this isn't a hot topic these days, but it was then. And I said we shouldn't have gone into, into Iraq and that it was unrelated to 9-11. This person who I think probably, I might, I might, I don't know how much I would agree with him on other things, but it's very possible that he aligned with me 100% on other things. It's possible. I don't know. But he became convinced immediately that I was liberal and that I was 100% just eating up Democrat propaganda and that if I would just listen to Fox News, instead of the liberal media, I would be instantly cured. Just like a light switch, it would change my life forever. Of course, he knew nothing about my other political ideas. He had, he had this one point on which I disagreed with him, and that was enough to reveal my true self and my path to salvation. <laughs> this was this, it was just, it was comical, especially since he didn't, he clearly wasn't even familiar with the issue that was being discussed, but, but that wasn't important. He had already solved the problem and he was just putting me into where I belonged in his, in his head. He had already opened his mind to the one idea he liked and closed it to the rest. <laughs> and closed it to the rest. And so every, all that was left for him, like, I, like how would you persuade someone like that which is in some way what we're discussing here. How do you talk to someone when a counterfactual claim to what they believe must come from a source that is disingenuous and therefore not credible and not worthy of hearing? How do they escape that worldview? How do they escape that idea? And that's what we're saying to those people who, who believe those conspiracies is if your current setup right now is that there's no way to disprove what you currently believe, no practical way, no argument, no evidence that can be presented, then then you've got a serious problem. That means you're no yeah, longer yeah. living in reality. CNN streams a constant narrative that says there are no conspiracies. And you say, oh, this is proof that there's a conspiracy. But then you listen to your sources that say everything's a conspiracy. And you have to realize that that's just as suspicious as CNN saying there are no conspiracies. So either your conspiracy theory people, the people you listen to who propose those conspiracy theories, are actually part of the conspiracy and are saying that just to, just to convince you of something, I don't know what, or possibly the more reasonable option that both parties, both the conspiracy theory news sources and the mainstream sources like CNN are actually just individuals who believe certain things, who are surrounded by confirmation bias, and on top of that confirmation bias, have a strong financial and personal incentive to continue pushing what they've already pushed before. If the conspiracy theorist And then says, couple that with the hate for the other people. Yes, exactly. And you realize that this is just where you're naturally going to end up. The conspiracy theorist news sites are going to find every conspiracy theory they can. They're not going to want to fact check and double check their own beliefs because it's not in their best interest. Just like CNN, it's not in their best interest to uncover the conspiracies that are out there. Yeah, it's been fun to see a couple websites have been changing, have been uh, shadow editing or secretly editing old documents about COVID-19 talking about the origins to change some of the wording to make them look less silly as that becomes a mainstream option now when they had declared so vehemently that the evidence was overwhelming and we know that it came from animals, something which we, we never knew. It's, it's such an interesting problem, and it's so tied into human, human psychology and human nature. Uh, this confirmation bias, this, this hate of the other, and it, it forms this kind of tribalism effect that and this, uh, this distrust of institutions that are acting distrustworthy. We have, we have a serious cultural problem with how our institutions are acting. Mm -hmm. By prioritizing winning the political game, you are selling your credibility. And you do that at your own peril. And you do that at the peril of society. Lies do not go without consequences. 
they have an effect and they have an effect on society. And one of them is to shape people in these ways or to, to make it more likely to get these kind of people. And conspiracies, we've talked about conspiracies as if they're mostly on the right. I don't think that's the case at all. CNN is, is there are no conspiracy theories. It seems to be the, the general liberal stance. Except when Russia's interfering and Trump's supposedly coordinating with it and it cost Hillary an election, right? These, that's, that is a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And that is a conspiracy that was believed by a majority of Democrats for a time. Of course, there has been no proof. There has been proof of Russian interference. Of course, there has been. I could have told you they were interfering before any of this happened because <laughs> that's what nations do. That's what we do in every nation we can. We, we try and push elections and other events in our favor. And we do it all. We've done it for many years all over the world. But that's another, that's another story. There has not been to this day any concrete connection between Trump and those events. There's just no, no evidence for, the, for him conspiring. But, but that conspiracy theory is alive and well and is still mainstream and accepted by many. Just like this election thing, the election thing, the, the lack of evidence has somehow been turned around into evidence that it is a conspiracy. Right? <laughs> the lack of evidence and is that's, proof. And that's when you know you've got a problem. <laughs> At that point, yes, there, there's a real problem. All of this, I think, comes in, in part because we are starting to lie about little things for political gain. And I think that is a much more dangerous game as I look at politics and I look at our direction and I look at how this will escalate and how this plays out over the next 20 years. As more and more is consumed by politics, the stakes get higher and higher and the groups hate each other more and more. I don't think it's sustainable. I think that is a steep decline, and we walk down it at our own peril. In other words, we've got many serious, serious problems in the United States politically. We need to start working on those problems, and every minute that we spend focusing on these conspiracy theories is a minute that you're taking away from focusing on these issues that are much much worse in terms of the effect that they're having. And so our request, our plea, is that when you open your mind to these conspiracy theories, remember to keep your mind open to the possibility that they may not be right. Don't let the bad faith of a few convince you that the whole world is like that or that every institution is like or that it's all too late. None of that is true and none of that has to be the case. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been episode 44 of the Rethinking Politics podcast. You can check us out on our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com. You can find us on social media, Twitter and Facebook. You can support us at our Patreon, which you can find the link to on our website. And we'll see you next week.